All right, so this morning, so we've been in the series when blank hits the fan, and we've covered so far catastrophe and loss, right? Those make sense. This morning, we're going to look at probably the most painful one in the list, and that's the word betrayal. Uh, All of us have probably been betrayed. I doubt there's anybody in the room that hasn't been done in by somebody on some level, some way, some form. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Um, We're going to show you a a clip of Braveheart. And many of you have seen the film, know the scene well, and uh, you'll see it. But particularly watch uh, his facial expression. Watch his eyes in this clip. And think about how you felt when you've been betrayed. The scene that is actually there on on the movie actually isn't historical. It's Hollywoodized, as we would say. But it captures the spirit of what was going on in the movie. And uh, you can tell how he looks being betrayed. Uh, Speaking historically, did you know that Zach Clark, so Zach's our worship leader, is a direct descendant of Robert the Bruce? And that Rob Henry is our junior high director who did an announcement story. He's a direct descendant of William Wallace. Man, we got bad blood right on the staff there. <laughs> no, they get along great. <laughs> Back to the point at hand. All right, the song Bad Blood that uh, we introduced this morning in the scene of the movie Braveheart bring to light something that is very real and uh, that most of us have experienced on one level or the other. There's no more painful heartache probably in life, than that of being betrayed. Look at the lyrics again uh, of Taylor's song. And start with the first line. I was thinking that you could be trusted. Right? Pause. I guess not. Did you have to ruin what was shiny? Now it's all rusted. Did you have to hit me when I was weak? I couldn't breathe and it rubbed in so deep. Salt in the wound like you're laughing right at me. And she goes on to say, so sad to think about the good times you and I had. This is a song written, uh, Taylor Swift responding to Katy Perry. And if you don't know the whole history of it, they were best friends. And uh, Taylor set up a tour and they were good friends. So Katy lent her her dancers and singing. In the middle of the tour, Katy called up, stole her singers and dancers back and left Taylor stranded and uh, tried to submarine her. So um, it, this just got played out in the last few years says it's so sad to think about the good times you and I then she goes on to say that you know if you live that way you're going to live with ghosts right and then Katy Perry fires back with her own song appropriately called ghosts right so you ever get into one of those it becomes a tit for tat salvo for salvo and um, and she says you say you're sorry but it's just for so so now baby we got bled for Taylor the song made her a lot of money Uh, but it wasn't able to fix her heart. You can feel the sting and the loss and the bitterness in the song. Two formerly best friends are now probably estranged for life. Big time ouch, right? The fabric of loyalty and love and honor is shredded to a pulp. A person's whole sense of reality is taken from them. The consistent question you hear is, wow, what's really real anymore? Right? I thought they were my best friends. If you've been betrayed, then you know that one of the most difficult aspects of being betrayed is the ability to trust again. Trust is often postured, but it's hard to actually accomplish when the spirit of betrayal has rent the fabric of your life. Betrayal has a number of spin-off cousins like bitterness, 
rage, anger, revenge, and cynicism. And in essence, it can swallow a person to the point of them feeling like they're drowning. And here's what's so devastating about betrayal. In my experience, particularly when it comes to um, business deals or, for example, divorce, the person who's planning the betrayal is usually two to three years out ahead of the other person. Right? And so by the time they catch up to it and realize there's a problem, the other person is going, oh, well, let's, let's go to counseling or let's try to fix it. And they don't realize there's two to three years of water already under the bridge. That the things have already cleverly been locked into place. That things they agreed to before didn't even realize they had participated in part of the setup. I was talking to a brother yesterday who said uh, someone had done them in on a business deal and how they had come and asked to just switch service with their cell phone. And what they realized later was they had to get the cell phone over to another carrier so they couldn't be canceled when they found out they betrayed them. They set it up long ahead of time, right? And so by that time, the shock sets in and it's really difficult to overcome. The Bible has some of the most famous betrayals known to man. Uh, Just uh, list a couple up here. Cain killed Abel, right? That was a betrayal. Uh, Cain didn't even know he had done anything wrong. Uh, Moses had Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, if you want to check out one of the more antagonistic uh, betrayals in the Old Testament, check out that one. Uh, their whole thing is you brought us out in the wilderness to kill us. We should go back to Egypt. And they started a revolt to do that. Uh, Joseph certainly knew what betrayal was, right? Thrown in a pit and then, uh, sold into slavery. And uh, the misery that that created in his life ran for uh, more than 20 years. Uh, in uh, the betrayal that took place there. Uh, You have Saul against David. David did nothing good but for Saul, and Saul returned it with trying to peg him to a wall three times with a spear and uh, murdering him, trying to murder him by stealth and deceit. Then you can flip the coin, and then you have Absalom against David. This is David's own son. It says he stole the heart of the nation from David and uh, turned it towards him and tried to then kill his own father. You have Peter and Jesus, right? Peter denying. By the way, it says there, if you read the scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Peter denied Jesus, it says he did so with cursings and swearing. It wasn't a pity pat. pat. He was full blown out the other end. Okay? Vile betrayal. And it says Jesus looked at him and the rooster crowed and suddenly Peter realized. And then he went and wept. But that was a betrayal as well. We'll talk a little bit more about this one in a few minutes, Jesus and Judas. But the one I want to focus on this morning is this one, David and Uriah. Usually this story is told as David and Bathsheba, right? And it's told either from David's perspective or it's told from Bathsheba's perspective. From this morning, though, I'd like you to consider the story from Uriah's perspective. So let me give you a backdrop to the story. So it, the Bible says it's springtime. It says that it's the, the, the time when kings go to war, but David had stayed behind. And he lets his eyes and heart stray and wander. And so he covets another man's wife and he lays with her. Two problems come out of this situation 
right away. Problem number one, she is the wife, Bathsheba is the wife of one of David's loyal soldiers, Uriah, one of his 30 mighty men, not just a soldier, one of his inner core of the 30 mighty men that are listed several times in Scripture. Uriah the Hittite. Second problem is she becomes pregnant. And now David becomes panicked because he couldn't control the circumstances. Remember, one of the things that Satan will not tell you when you're thinking of sinning is he will tell you you can control the circumstances. And the truth is you cannot. One of the things that should scare the bejeebers out of us when it comes to deciding to sin is that you cannot control the circumstances. Right? Just note that. Uh, there are other things that can happen. And so it goes like this. So David sent word to Joab, because they're all fighting in the field. He said, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him uh, how it was going with Job and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So it, the auspices of this is David pulled Uriah off the field. He's one of his mighty men. He comes, says, give me a report. How's Job doing? How's the fighting going? That is fantastic. Thank you for the loyal report. Um, here, go down to your house, wash your feet, which meant, you know, clean up from the journey. And the king sent a present. And the idea is go home. Uh, while you're home, why don't you make love to your wife? And that way people will think she got pregnant from you, not from me. Well, Uriah uh, messes the plan up. It says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. And when they told him Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? And why did you not go down to your house? I.e., you've got a very beautiful wife. What's your problem? Right? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in Booths. And my Lord Job and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. In other words, there's a mission going on right now. There's something really important. And even if I'm not there with them, I'm still part of the mission. Listen to this, right? He's loyal. Even when he can indulge, he's not indulging. And he's, he's keeping steadfastness with the rest of the troops. He said, there can't, shall I go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. In other words, I will not compromise. I will not cut corners. Uh, and think about that, man. What more could you want out of a soldier? Talk about loyalty. Talk about commitment. And so... David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow and I will send you back. And so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him and they ate in his presence and drank so that the king made him drunk. Okay, tactic number two. If I can't get him to go down and lay with his wife sober, if that's not enough to induce lust, I'll get him stone cold drunk and then he'll go and the baser nature will take over and then he'll go sleep with his wife. And so David gets him slam drunk. And uh, in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Right? So can, can you feel the panic on David's part? Can you sense he's pulling all the stops out? And Uriah is a man of integrity, and so he's holding to his guns. Even when the king 
intentionally gets him drunk. Right? Then it says this. Here's the spirit of betrayal. It says, In the morning David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. These are specific orders of which Uriah is carrying the specific orders and he does not know it's his own death sentence in the letter. Can you imagine being loyal to the king who wrote a letter that says you're going to get taken out when you get back to the line because you were obedient. As Job was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men in the city came out and fought with Job. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah among them, Uriah the Hittite, also died. Right? So now, set the stage here. Stop, backpedal, re-reel the reel here for a second. Uriah is totally loyal to the king and with the men that he serves. He will not compromise. He knows how important the mission is. He he assumes incorrectly that this is exactly how his king sees it. That's how David had always seen it before, right? So he assumes the king's in on the mission exactly like he is, and he wants to give attention to duty. His sense of honor and loyalty is so high, he will not even go into his own house and make love with his wife. He stands on post, in recognition of his comrades, not even the king forcing him to get drunk, can move him off his commitment and his men. And as a result of his faithfulness, and in reward for his honor, he is given a letter to take to his commander, which he faithfully does, not realizing that is his own death sentence. Can you imagine for a second If Uriah would have opened that letter, probably would have been a scene very similar to what we watched up on the screen this morning. Can you imagine if Uriah could come back from the dead and confront David? It would potentially go a little something like this. So let me get this straight. For being loyal and trustworthy, Serving you faithfully as one of your 30 mighty men. You know the men who protected your life from King Saul and all the other dangers you face. You reward me by killing me because you wanted to shack my wife. No, actually that's wrong. Because you had shacked my wife. Braveheart would have nothing on this dude. Can you feel the sting there? Can you feel? Can you even for a second fathom the depth of that kind of betrayal? And you could say, yes, I can. Because I've experienced that myself. Where did does this kind of stuff come from? We don't have a time to look at it in depth. But I want you to consider Ezekiel 28 this morning. Ezekiel 28 is what's called a telescoping prophecy. It's talking about a king. But as it's talking about a king, you suddenly realize it's talking about something else also entirely. And uh, it's talking about Satan and the fall of Satan. And Ezekiel 28 reads like this, You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created 
till wickedness was found in you. Great mystery of the universe. Where did wickedness come from? Though your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned, and so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And it says, therefore God cast him out, and this guardian cherub that had all the splendor of the kingdom ends up being a burnt-out, wrecked hulk of an entity that we now know as Satan. But what I want to draw your attention to this morning, that all we know of treachery, all that we know of corruption, all that we know of torture, all that we know of terrorism, black market, mafia and the like, started right here. Something went terribly wrong in the kingdom and Satan twisted his role. Satan betrayed God. He betrayed his position and his standing. And then he led another person into the same footsteps that he had followed into what has become known as the greatest betrayal in history. Matthew records, Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, I will kiss the man, seize him. And when he came up to Jesus at once, he said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. I find it amazing that Jesus would call him friend. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. This person forever will be identified as Judas, the one who betrayed the Son of God. Judas followed in those footsteps. Judas had walked with Jesus for three years. He had seen all the miracles and the good deeds that Jesus had done. He had sat under his teaching. He had eaten meals with them. They were friends. And yet Judas turned on Jesus. Psalm 55 captures this piercingly when it says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with, insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is there in their dwelling and in their heart. And the thing I want to point out this morning is that Jesus became like us, and so he learned all the things that we've also learned. One of the things is Jesus himself knows what it's like to be betrayed. He can understand the experience because he went through it himself. I'm going to ask the guys to begin to come forward and distribute communion. Guys, if you would do this at that point. Let's talk for a second just... How do you overcome this kind of stuff? Uh, my friend who was betrayed in business said, okay, so I prayed for the guy for two weeks. Can I, do I have to keep praying for him? You ever felt that, that feeling, right? Because really, you don't want to pray for him. What you really want to do is skewer them in the ground, right? Take them out. God hit them. No, don't even hit them with a lightning bolt. That would be too fast and too quick. Do something mean to them. Make them pay. You ever have them make them pay in your heart? Right. And one of the things that Scripture warns us about is that do not return evil for evil. Do not return 
fire with fire. Thank you, Dave. So how do I get rid of this bile inside of me? How do I get rid of this blood taste inside of my heart, inside of my mind, inside of my my feelings? Uh, Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. You know, if anybody could have held a grudge, wouldn't it have been Jesus? He was sinless after all, right? He looked and said, forgive them. Matthew says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, this is at the end of the Lord's Prayer. It's never included in the Lord's Prayer, but it should be. For if you forgive others their trespasses, when someone crosses the line, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And the whole issue here is, well, why would I forgive them? Because if I forgive them, then they get off scot-free. Nobody ever gets off scot-free. Ever. Doesn't happen. The Bible says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. So those of us who have betrayed need to seek mercy. Those of us who have been betrayed need to seek mercy. Forgiveness, so that we don't get caught up and tied with it. Hebrews tells us this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and see that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Another translation says stain. You ever been stained by the spirit of bitterness? You ever had your Christian walk stained by the spirit of bitterness where you can't even see or sense God anymore because you're so bitter? You can't see through that fog? You can't see through that veil? It's got you wrapped Choked at the heart point. Now I realize as I'm talking about this morning that it may have touched some very sensitive areas in the lives in this room and that it's a major challenge uh, to hear the things that we're talking about and even to talk about forgiving. Notice that the betrayal of Judas was revealed at a very specific place. Where was it revealed? It was revealed at what we call the Last Supper, or what we call communion, right? And as we uh, come to communion this morning, I want you to reconsider how that took place. It, this is out of Matthew. It says, when, when it was evening, he, Jesus, reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. So I'd like to ask a question this morning. It says when we come to communion that we are to examine ourselves and uh, to look at ourselves before we take communion. Let me ask a question that maybe you weren't thinking about this morning when you came in. Have we betrayed Jesus? We can get on our high horse and we can talk a lot about how others have betrayed us. 
But have we betrayed him? I wrote down these thoughts right here. Some ways. Did he put a call on our life and we said no? Did he ask us to do something and we said no? Did we choose a sin over him and said no? It's easy to cast the stone when we think of how others have betrayed us. It's not so simple when we think about, hey, when I come into the presence of the living God, have I betrayed him? Jesus had communion at the Last Supper, knowing that he was going to be betrayed. Yes, by Judas, but yes, also by us. And he says, therefore, I know how that goes, so lay the axe down. Put your weapons down. Stop trying to seek vengeance and revenge yourself. Trust me. Put it in my hands. Be free. Don't let bitterness stain you. Let's stop for a minute. Does anybody need to lay anything down before we have communion? Close your eyes. I want to give us just a minute of silence. You do that with the Lord, and then we'll do communion. Lord, we sang this morning that nothing is impossible for you to do. May that be true in this moment. Lord, there's some of us who said, I will never forgive. And yet, Father, that's what you're calling us to do. And we have to forgive. We get to forgive. We get to be freed of. And this is a place where your spirit could do some miraculous things in our hearts. As we come to communion, Lord, we remember that this is your body, the terrible price you paid for our betrayal and our sin and our rebellion. And you said, remember, eat this in memory of me. Lord, the cup. You shared the cup, it says, with all 12 disciples, even Judas. That's amazing. You modeled something for us. When we know Scripture says, love your enemies. Lord, we tend to hate our enemies. I think you know that. I don't think that's a secret to you. Help us to become like you. Help us to learn to love our enemies. And we... Take this cup in memory of you.